Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NELA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And we are lucky enough today to have another amazing guest, Rachel Weisberg, who we are both lucky enough to call a friend and colleague. I think we get to call you friend too, don't we? You definitely get to call me friend. Thank you. Not colleague. And colleague. (laughs) (laughs) Friend and colleague. We're off to a good start, guys. So we're friends with Rachel because she is also a NELA Illinois member. You are on the board of directors with us. Rachel is unique because she is a staff attorney and the employment rights helpline manager at a nonprofit organization, Equip for Equality. Just some brief background on Rachel. Rachel graduated from University of Michigan. So another Michigan grad. I'm happy to have you here for that. Go blue. Go blue. Roll Tide. Rachel also graduated cum laude from Northwestern University School of Law. She has spent most of her career with Equip for Equality, dedicating her uh, legal career to fighting for and advocating for the rights of the disabled or people with disabilities, I should say. But she also worked as a law clerk for a federal judge, uh, as an attorney at Sidley Austin, and with the Attorney General's office. At Equip for Equality, Rachel focuses on litigating disability discrimination rights claims. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Hey, Rachel. So you've spent a lot of your career with Equip for Equality. What is Equip for Equality? So Equip for Equality is a private uh, nonprofit organization. Our mission is to advance the human and civil rights of people with disabilities in Illinois. We are, we basically are an organization that provides free legal services to people with disabilities about issues related to their disability. So everything from special education to civil rights to abuse and neglect investigations. And we also do a whole lot of trainings for both people with disabilities and others about disability rights laws. And so I think one big disability rights law is the Americans with Disabilities Act. I'd say it's the biggest, it. I'd say it's the biggest. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably. Uh, So what is the ADA? So the ADA, as you mentioned, is a a comprehensive civil rights law that protects the rights of people with disabilities. And it is a really broad law. It applies to employment situations. It applies to everything that state or local governments do. It applies to places of public accommodation, which are essentially private businesses. Sometimes when I talk about how broad the ADA is, I think it's potentially easier to say what it doesn't cover. And really the only things it doesn't cover are airplanes. Um, There's another law that covers airplanes and private multifamily housing. But pretty much I'd say almost everything else in the world that has some sort of component to it is it falls within the scope of the ADA. So under Illinois law, our, our local sort of baby human rights law that covers disability rights and then all the other categories of discrimination, the federal laws cover, and then some covers employers of one or more. Does the ADA cover, I mean, basically all employers as well, or are there size requirements from an employment perspective? Yeah, there's a size requirement in the ADA consistent with other federal anti-discrimination laws. And so under the ADA for an employer to be covered um, under Title I, which is the employment protections, an employer has to have 15 or more employees. But Title II, which applies to state and local governments, and Title III, which applies to to businesses, they're covered regardless of their their size or number of employees. It's not their it's but it's it's kind of like their public facing activities that are protected by the discrimination or that are covered by the discrimination laws as opposed to them their employment. So how to narrow it a little bit? How does the ADA intersect with COVID nineteen, the current pandemic that's going on? 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, narrow, that narrowed it a lot. Yeah. Really narrowed it down too. I know. <laughs> you, really you helping do you remember out like one second ago where I just said the ADA pretty much applies to like everything. Let me give you some examples. So I, I guess one thing I just, I, I should have said, but I didn't say about the ADA is one reason that the ADA is a unique law. And I think a really important law is that it recognizes that sometimes to ensure the rights of people with disabilities, we need to do more than just not discriminate, right? Sometimes we need to also provide things like reasonable accommodations um, or reasonable modifications of policies or provide people with the tools that they need for effective communication. And I mentioned that just because some, some of the things that I think we wanna talk a little bit about when we talk about the intersection between the ADA and COVID really do focus around this concept of reasonable accommodations. Should we start with employment and then maybe go from there or should we start with other things? Okay. So an employment law podcast, we have to. Okay. We will start with employment. (laughs) We are all employment attorneys who care a lot about employment law. So, yeah. So, you know, when, when COVID first, you know, became a thing back in the spring, there was it, there was a lot of kind of scrambling, right? Cause there's a lot of people with disabilities who have jobs that are out there in the workplace and they were all like, you know, trying to figure out how does the ADA protect me? What are my rights? And it was, you know, I think it's been a hard year for everyone, but I think it's been a really particularly trying time for employees with disabilities in the workplace because there's been so much uncertainty about what their rights are. And, you know, what we basically had to do over the past year was take some of these standard legal principles about the ADA and then kind of apply them to this new situation with COVID. So, you know, how does it apply? How does the ADA apply to folks who, you know, are fearful of going into their office or going into their workplace due to high risk of contracting COVID? What we've essentially done when we counsel people is to try to think through, is there a way for people to be able to continue to do their job with or without reasonable accommodations? That's that's basically the overall legal framework. And we, we can kind of narrow that down a little bit to talk about what that looks like. You know, it can pretty much look like anything from as little as, yeah, I can go into the workplace, but I need my employer to provide me with personal protective equipment, or I need my employer to put up plexiglass, you know, again, some of these similar things that employers are doing to to safeguard all people, or it can be anything, or it can be something a little bit more, more extensive, like we're going to allow you to work from home, even though, you know, maybe some of the other employees aren't working from home, or maybe we're going to reassign you to a different position because it's a position better suited for telework, or maybe better suited that you're not in as much communication or contact with somebody. But basically with the, we've been using the ADA to try to figure out how do we keep people with disabilities working in the workplace in a way that's safe for them and also effective for their employers. I was going to say one of the things at least I've seen in my practice, and I suspect, Rachel, you've seen way more than I have, is people who have conditions that maybe might not have been a disability or a condition that they would have necessarily disclosed or had to disclose to their employer, but that COVID brought to the forefront. So something that maybe they never would have felt compelled to talk about with their employer suddenly became an issue because that condition, whereas it didn't affect their job before, now becomes life-threatening because that asthma condition or like if you have Marfan syndrome and have like a collapsed lung or something, now that job that didn't have anything to do with that, suddenly that's really important. Can you talk a little bit about how that 
how you see that played out and, and what that yeah. looks like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a really, I think a, a great question and it brings up some really important concepts. You know, one is that I think it's important to remember that people with disabilities have no affirmative obligation to disclose that they have a disability um, in the workplace unless they need a reasonable accommodation. So you're right. I mean, pe people with disabilities are the largest quote unquote minority group, right? We make up nearly one in four, one in five of, of people in the world. And so, you know, a lot of us are working without talking about our disabilities all the time or sharing that information with our employers because there's no reason or need to do it. And then there's a, it, it's a very personal decision when people do choose to disclose. And if somebody needs a reasonable accommodation in the workplace, you know, they have to disclose because only people with disabilities are entitled to reasonable accommodations under the ADA. And so, you know, there are some people who are really comfortable talking about their disability have no problem disclosing and sharing that information with their employer. But there's a lot of other people who are really fearful of, you know, of, of all the stigma that still does exist in the world. And so if somebody, like you mentioned, has never shared that they had a disability, but all of a sudden they need to ask for telework or they need to ask for reassignment or they need to ask to work the night shift where there's fewer people where they could more effectively social distance, you know, they are in a position where they do need to request a reasonable accommodation and need to disclose their disability for the first time. So, you know, we do a we at Equip for Quality and in particular at the Employment Rights Helpline, we spent a lot of time coaching people about the pros and cons and benefits and risks of disclosure. And, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of strong feelings on the subject, but my best advice for people is just that it's a personal decision, only they can make it. But, you know, we're always happy to, to talk with people to help, you know, to help them come to their own conclusion on that. Well, I, I think one thing we've learned in the last year is a lot of office jobs can just be done remotely. They can be done from home. So the reasonable accommodation part is almost kind of simple. Maybe <laughs> not, but it seems straightforward. But and, and I think you are about to cut me off and yell at me for a second, but maybe I'm I wasn't going <laughs> to. I wasn't going to yell at you. I was not going to yell at you. What I was going to say is that you're you're exactly right. I think the silver lining of COVID for people with disabilities is the widespread use of telework because so many people with disabilities benefit from teleworking for so many different reasons. And, you know, more than anything else over the past number of years, it's, it's, it telework is something that people have been fighting for have not been able to get as a reasonable accommodation. And there's been a couple courts here and there that have found telework to be reasonable, but there are a lot of courts out there that have found it not to be. And so I think on one hand, it's been very frustrating for people with disabilities to say, I, you know, hey, y'all, <laughs> this is what I've told you. I've been telling you for years, this is not a big deal. We can all do this. And that's really frustrating. But on the positive side, I think moving forward, it's going to be an easier ask. And I think it's going to be a huge benefit to keep people with disabilities in the workplace. So I guess to, to kind of connect those two, those last couple questions, one of the things that I think a lot of us are seeing is people with conditions saying, is this a disability? Like, is this going to entitle me to maybe it doesn't end up entitling them to the accommodation, but is at least going to be enough to make my employer engage in the interactive process with me, at least try to work this out with me. Can you talk a little bit about what, not like list specific conditions, but what markers employment lawyers or just people in general need to think about when that issue is coming up in this context? Yeah, sure. So, you know, the ADA protects people who fall within a very specific definition of disability. I won't bore you with the legal jargon, but I mean, basically you have to have some sort of underlying medical diagnosis or medical condition, and it has to have some sort of functional limitation or impact your bodily functions in some sort of way. 
And so, you know, there are a lot of conditions out there. I guess the answer to your question more directly is for people who are high risk at contracting COVID, the question and the determinative issue about whether or not they're protected by the ADA is whether the underlying thing that makes them at high risk is considered an impairment under the ADA. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So if you look at the CDC list of the different conditions that put you at higher risk for COVID, a lot of those conditions are things that you would, you and I would recognize as disabilities, right? So it could be something like Down syndrome has just been recently added to the list. There are, there's people who have moderate to severe um, asthma, people who are immunocompromised for different reasons. Those are all underlying medical conditions. And so that underlying medical condition is most likely a disability under the ADA. So they're most likely protected. On the other hand, there's a lot of reasons that you may be at high risk for COVID, but based on things that are not considered impairments. So one example is pregnancy. So pregnancy in and of itself is not a disability under the ADA. You could have a pregnancy-related impairment like gestational diabetes or a pregnancy-related sciatica or something like that, but pregnancy itself is not a disability under the ADA. So if somebody says, hey, I'm pregnant, I'm having no pregnancy-related complications, but I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm therefore at high risk for COVID, the ADA is not going to protect that person. Of course, here in Illinois, we also have the Illinois Human Rights Act, which does provide accommodations for pregnant workers, but the ADA is not. So another example would be age, right? So people who are over 65 are at higher risk, but age itself is not an impairment, so they're not going to be protected by the ADA. Well, so how does it function where, you know, offices are going to start hopefully opening up soon because, you know, people are getting vaccinated, et cetera. But if someone has anxiety of returning to the office, would that be protected under the ADA? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, and the EEOC has been, you know, I, I think the EEOC in a lot of ways has been very helpful. They've been, you know, we're all kind of learning as we go with this, right? We're all learning more about COVID. We're all like figuring out how this is playing out. The EEOC has pr provided a document, like a, a guidance document pretty early on in the pandemic and has been regularly updating it. And one of the questions that they answered <laughs> posed to themselves and then answered in their Q&A document was, you know, well, what about a mental health condition, right? It's having anxiety or having a mental health condition doesn't, I don't know that it's on the list of, you know, CDC guidelines that put you at higher risk, but somebody could have a mental health condition that's covered by the ADA and that needs to be accommodated in the same way that a physical disability would be. So, I mean, my answer to that is absolutely. If somebody has anxiety and that anxiety is triggered by the idea of going back into the office, then that person should, you know, think through what sort of accommodations would work, ask their employer for an accommodation, and then engage in the interactive process to see what the options are. So to transition slightly from the, from the employment to the non-employment context, and I think you could probably spend like 10 hours talking about this. I probably could. Yeah. What are, <laughs> Let's some, <test> yeah, what <laughs> are some things that in a non-employment context matter from an ADA COVID perspective? Like can basically can businesses require masks Can they do other things like that? Or is that an ADA issue? Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. Gosh, that was another huge question, right? When businesses started requiring masks and there was, I don't know if, if y'all knew about this or remember this, but there was like a fake department of justice document going around saying the department of justice says that you don't have to wear a mask if you are a person with a disability. And it was like, just a fake document that somehow got around and the Department of Justice had to put out something on their website saying, don't listen to this fake document. But basically, you know, it's there, there's always going to be some sort of, you know, the, the, and 
The ADA attempts to balance employer rights and business rights with employee needs and customer needs. And, you know, when we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, the ADA, the guidance that I've seen at least has suggested that, you know, most, most stores can have mask policies, but then they need to provide some sort of reasonable accommodation if it's possible. I don't think that that necessarily means you need to allow folks to just wander into your store without a mask, but it does mean maybe there's an alternative way to achieve the same service. So maybe it's offering curbside service for somebody who has a medical condition. Maybe it's allowing someone to go shopping off hours where not pe where people aren't in the store. Maybe it's offering some sort of online services. And so the idea is how do we give people access to the goods and services without endangering other people? And again, we know that masks are really important to safeguard the the, and stop the trans, the spread. But there was a lot of uncertainty for a long time about that. And, you know, I don't know that there's been, I don't believe that I've seen any court cases specifically on that issue, but that seems to be where people have landed. I guess I didn't think about this before, but if businesses are allowing like curbside drop-offs, that type of thing, is that something that can be a reasonable accommodation in moving forward? It's kind of like the remote work from home, remote type setup. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, usually only... I, I, I guess the question is, do they, is it something that somebody needs, right? You only need to provide reasonable accommodations or reasonable modifications of policy when it's necessary. So under Title III of the ADA, which applies to businesses, if you are a, if you are a business that was built after the ADA was, was passed, you have very specific architectural requirements. But if you're an older business, you still have to comply with the ADA, but the standards are a little bit different. You have to basically remove barriers when it's readily achievable to do so. But there are some, you know, really small businesses that have huge staircases and it's not readily achievable. And those businesses, we always say, you're not just exempt from the ADA. You need to figure out a way for those businesses to provide your services in an alternative way. And so we always would say like, well, okay, maybe curbside service is a way to enable somebody who's unable to navigate the stairs to get to your store, you know, access. So I, I guess that I, this is a long-winded way of saying, I feel like that same sort of thing would, would apply. Like if there's a reason that somebody with a disability isn't able to access the store, then sure, let's think about these alternatives and alternate ways to get the goods and services. But otherwise, I don't know that it's just like something that's going to be necessary. But, you know, it might be one of those things that it's a, it's a convenience for people. People like it. It's like this concept of universal design, right? Like sometimes we come up with an idea that's intended for certain groups that really benefit everybody. So maybe we'll see who knows what the world will look like in a couple of years. Rachel, one of the things going back to a little bit back into the employment context, um, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, requiring masks. One of the, one of the hot topics we, I, I've certainly been getting a lot of professional emails about and people have started asking me about and asking about in general is mandatory vaccines in a workplace setting. And, you know, and, and broader than that, you know, earlier before vaccines were available, you were getting employers and employees asking, can I, can I enforce certain policies? Can I make people mm -hmm. wear masks? Can I make them tell me if they've been in a COVID hotspot or they've been exposed to it? Can I make them let me take their temperature? Can you talk a little bit about what the ADA normally protects in terms of employee privacy and what kind of exceptions workers may have to grapple with and, and, and maybe for their own safety, although privacy rights obviously are still really important and, and personal choice, but, but mandatory vaccines, mand all that other stuff that now people are sort of staring down the barrel at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good question. And it's something we've been grappling with a lot too. So let me start with the, what the rules usually are. Okay. So usually there for, there's different 
kind of stages. So the ADA restricts when somebody can ask a medical, a disability related question or require any sort of medical exam. And so taking your temperature would typically be considered a medical exam, right? Or asking somebody disability related questions about, you know, if they have a fever or any of those types of screening, screening questions that I think at this point in time, we're all pretty used to. So the question is, you know, when somebody is an employee, those types of things are only permissible if it's job related and consistent with business necessity. Well, the EEOC has said, because of the um, inherent nature of COVID-19, that some of these in, things that are considered medical exams and are considered disability related inquiries are job related and consistent with business necessity at this time. And so the EEOC has essentially blessed the rights for employers to do temperature checks and then to ask screening questions. But the ADA also says, hey, any sort of medical thing from your employees has to be kept confidential. It has to be kept in a locked personnel file. It has to be kept private. So any of that information that we're getting about screenings and temperature checks all of that needs to be kept confidential. Max, you look a little concerned. Are you okay? I, yeah, I slapped by accident because I'm a klutz. I hit the wire. And so for a very brief second, my microphone and uh, headphone jack came undone and you were talking out of my computer and I became petrified that I had ruined all this last 20 minutes. No, that was a really good answer. Cool. I'm sorry. Well, but I didn't this finish. This is my, <laughs> like, this is my anxiety coming out. So sorry for derailing it. Steve, <laughs> ignore all of that crap. All right, Rachel. No, go back no, keep that on. Please don't. Um, <laughs> go on, Rachel. I'm sorry. So where was I? Do you want to ask specifically um, about the masks and the vaccine? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a yeah. follow-up question here. So let's, <laughs> I'll just, I mean, I, I think you would, Damn I think it, the last part PC would just said is, you know, employers have to make sure they're keeping information, medical information confidential. Right. So I think, so I guess the two-part question would be, and it's a bad question because it's two parts, but A, can employers require employees to take the vaccine, disclose that, but, and also relatedly B, if an employee says, hey, I, I can't come to work because, you know, I'm covered by the ADA, can the employer say, well, once you get the vaccine, you have to tell us and then come to work? Yeah, so... Okay, let's start with question one. So can an employer require the vaccine? There's been a lot of buzz about this and I will preface my comments in a lawyerly way to say we are at the early stages of thinking through this question. However, the EEOC has put out guidance on this question. And what the EEOC says is that employers are permitted to require safety standards. And so they are permitted to say, everyone in our workplace needs to get the vaccine. However, if that policy, that safety standard screens out an employee because of a disability, they need to consider whether it's truly job related and consistent with business necessity. And they need to consider whether there's any sort of reasonable accommodation that would enable the employee to work. So what does that really mean? I mean, I think, you know, in certain circumstances, maybe Maybe there's 100 people in the work site and 99 people are going to be vaccinated. Maybe the employer will come to the determination that having that one person not vaccinated isn't going to be a huge safety threat because we're still having these thresholds. Maybe it's that we can, you know, have this one employee, maybe this one employee wanted, is able to telework or there's some other way to accommodate them. You know, I... I always say under the ADA, you know, we need to be problem solvers. And so there may be a way to resolve that situation, but it's, it's something that at least, you know, generally speaking, the rule is that the employers can require it, but if somebody cannot have a vaccine for disability related reasons, 
then I think there needs to be a discussion about whether there's a way to make that workable and what that looks like and where that line is drawn. I can't tell you yet because, you know, we're, we're really early on. There's been no court cases about it. We pretty much just have the EEOC guidance. Well, we would like you to make a concrete prediction and stick your name by it and bet on it now. So we're going to need a little bit more specificity there. No, no. Uh, um, thank you for, no, thank you for trying to divine that. I mean, it's. It, what I about the flip scenario then? Like yeah. you're, you know, you have someone who's more vulnerable from a COVID standpoint. Can mm -hmm. the employer require them to show that they've gotten the vaccine? So like from like but, a direct. This is coming up. Yeah, this is coming up. Yeah, a like a direct threat. Like you're, you're. Like, so that the employer wants to be sure that they're not going to, yeah, so like have think, someone receive, like get, have it be transmitted at the work site. Yeah. Or on the recipient. I think this is coming up a lot with teachers because some teachers are, you know, you can teach from via zoom, teach work from home. They may be more likely to catch COVID because of disability. So they're protected under the ADA. So can the school district say, hey, you've got to get vaccinated. You qualify under 1B. We want the note by April 15th. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, I don't think an employer can force somebody to get vaccinated. But I think if an employer says, hey, we're providing you with this reasonable accommodation of telework and we're going to, we want all the people, you know, we want all the teachers to come back by this certain date, then I think it would kind of be like an kind of like an accommodation upon accommodation, right? If somebody is working from home because they have a condition that puts them at high risk and then, and then a school district is saying, well, everyone can come back, everyone's getting vaccinated. So everyone can come back to work. Then, then that employee, I think would need to say, well, I'm not able to get vaccinated because of X, Y, and Z condition. Here's, you know, my medical records supporting that. And therefore I need my reasonable accommodation of telework yeah. to continue. And then I, and then I think the question is, well, is it a reasonable accommodation to enable that person to continue to telework? I think, you know, outside the school context, I think in many situations, it probably is, you know, I think with schools, it's a little bit tricky, right? Because typically, you know, having a teacher in a school is how things are usually done and important for kids to be there. But obviously we figured out a lot out and we don't want to put people in unsafe positions. So yeah, it's almost a, it's a good question. It's a good yeah, question. Rescinding a reasonable accommodation to, and requiring then a new reasonable accommodation. Yeah, I mean, I will say like there is a court case, at least one in the Northern District of Illinois that suggests that if you, as a, if an employer is going to rescind an accommodation, they need to re-engage in the interactive process, right? You can't just like yank it away from somebody and expect everything to be okay. So, you know, I think if an employee just doesn't want to have a vaccine, I don't know that that is going to be good enough, but I think if they're unable to take a vaccine for disability related reasons, then that is a standalone reasonable accommodation request. And that makes sense. Rachel, is there anything, and this is a really broad question, so uh, I'll apologize, but still put you on the spot anyway. Is there a takeaway for people, you know, with respect to COVID, respect to the ADA, just anything you, you hope that people have gleaned from this last year other than telework is possible? I was like, telework is possible, Max. Were you not listening to me earlier? Telework <laughs> no, is possible. No, I was, I swear. 
<laughs> well, I mean, okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to continue on my telework as possible, but Go it's basically it. like a lot of things are possible. Like, look at what we have done when faced with these circumstances, right? Like, let's be creative. Let's support each other. Like, we can, can, we can do these things if we work together and we work creatively and we think through different situations. But, you know, I think we also, I, I gave a training last last summer. And I gave the advice that I think we all need to be kind to each other. I think employees need to be kind to their employers who are trying to figure this stuff out. And I think employers need to be kind to employees who are really scared. And then I got a question like, where in the ADA does it say you need to be kind? And I was like, okay, well, it doesn't. (laughs) But you know, kindness goes a long way. And I think, you know, this interactive process concept is it does, I mean, yeah, you can go through the motions, but like, you're not going to do that effectively. Right. And having a little bit of a sense of empathy on the other side, which I think we all have developed by kind of going through this like national trauma together. Hopefully, you know, people will be willing to think creatively and work to try to find solutions. One of my favorite essays is David Foster Wallace's, this is water. And the mm-hmm. takeaway I have from that is just, we should try to understand what people are going through because everyone mm-hmm. is, especially right now going through vastly different things. Yeah. Uh, like even on this call, like you two are both parents. I'm a single dude. So we're both going through different stuff, but it's difficult either way. Right. Right. I'm at and I kind of <laughs> copped on our first intro episode that will someday drop that we tend to talk at least once a week, usually about cases, but it bleeds into other stuff. Uh, Rachel on our first recording tonight, by the way, got to listen to us gossiping about the latest trade the Milwaukee Bucks made. So that's yeah, an example. Great. But Something Ahmed has said that I really like and I think is a nice mantra is, you know, it's nice to check on people during this and just sort of see how everybody's doing because like, you know, we're not we're not meant or used to being this isolated and apart from one another. You know, we're all really stressed out right now. It's it's hard. Well, Um, and that that's a perfect transition for our final bit for you, which is we're we're doing a shout out of the week. So it can be a TV show. It can be a person. It can be a book. It can be anything. We don't tell you ahead of time we're doing this. Oh my gosh. You have a shout out of the week. Okay. I just finished a book. So I, every year I'm like, I'm going to read more. I really like reading, but then I never do because as you said, I have a six and a four-year-old and they consume all of my non-work hours. So staying on the same topic, I I, I am going to, again, this is a little bit of cheating because I'm staying on the same topic of disability rights, but I just read the book Being Human. It's the memoir of Judy Human, who is an incredible disability rights activist. And, you know, I I fancy myself that I know a little bit about disability rights history, but I learned so much and she's just an incredible person. So I highly encourage anyone to read the book. And if you haven't seen the, the documentary, which has just been nominated for an Oscar, it's on Netflix called Crip Camp. It also tells Judy's story and the story of the sit-ins that led to the implementation and, and regulations for the, for section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So that's my shout out. We'll put both of those in our show notes. Rachel, if um, people want to reach you, if they want to get involved with Equip for Equality or they want to learn more about it or they need help from Equip for Equality or you, where can they go to do those things? Well, we have a lot of ways you can do that. You can go to our website, www.equipforequality.org. You can call the Employment Rights Helpline. The, our number is on that website, but it's also 1-844-RIGHTS-9. Very catchy, I know. You can follow us on 
Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And anyone is also welcome to reach out to me directly. My email is rachelw at equipforequality.org. And I will route you to the right place if I am not the right person to talk to. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. It was such a treat and it's such a good excuse for Amit and I to get a chance to be face-to-face and and get to hang out with you, even if on Zoom. Maybe one day these things will be safe. Our respective children and Amit's schedule will permit an in-person recording or hang out again one day, you know, when this is all over with. So thanks so much for doing this on on an evening. That would be great. Nice chatting with you both. On that note, thank you to everybody who is listening. This has been Employee to Lawyer, the Employment Law Podcast. This podcast is presented by and on behalf of NELA, Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. If you want more information about NELA, Illinois, please visit our website, www.nela-illinois.org. Again, www.nela-illinois.org. If you need an attorney, please search through our member list or use our find a lawyer function to find one of our outstanding attorneys like Rachel Weisberg, our guest this evening. Thank you so much again, Rachel. Thank you for listening. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinion. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.